You're listening to the Isles of Maricast, sponsored by Sheffield Wednesday's I Follow Live Match streaming service. Sign up now at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. Welcome to episode 77 of Owls Americast. I am your backup host in Ohio, Evan Skilleter. And tonight I'm drinking a Redemption High Rye Bourbon. Came across this on the shelf the other day. Only $20, which is low for most liquor stores in Ohio. And I tried it and really enjoyed it. So this is actually my second bottle in two weeks. If that tells you how my last two weeks have gone. Also on the line, our captain in Manhattan. It's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? Good evening, Evan. Um, I've got uh, I've switched gears tonight, so I had to host some work drinks. So I've already been through the beers. Uh, so I'm on Oban, a 14-year uh, scotch in a Sheffield tumbler. So mm. yeah, a little bit of Scotland, a little bit of Sheffield, and uh, a closet in Manhattan. Also on the line from Secaucus, New Jersey, also known as kind of New York City, it's Patty Jones. Patty, what are you drinking tonight? Good evening, gentlemen. I'm continuing the uh, whiskey bourbon theme. Uh, I have a Kentucky bourbon barrel aged ale, uh, one of my favorite beers from uh, your neck of the woods, Evan, I believe, right? Lexington, Kentucky? Yeah, yeah. It's three That's hours cool. south. I spent a lot, a lot of time down there in Lexington. Very nice beer. We've got plenty to talk about today. A new manager, a win, some news, some more games coming up next week, and some other stuff going on. Uh, so we'll get into it, and first we'll talk about a, a singular manager, because we don't have to talk about possible managers any longer. We finally have one, and he's named after SpongeBob's pet snail. It's Gary Monk. What do you guys think of the timing of, of this hire? Patty, let's start with you. Uh, so, I think it's. So first of all, we've been away for two weeks. So let's catch up with the rest of the news. So, uh, we are obviously a bit behind everybody else. Um, but I felt like, as we said before we finished the international break, that it was time. It was time for a change. Um, I know we switched pretty quickly on Bullen after we all pretty much said give him a chance. Um, but I think the last two games of Bullen's reign uh, showed he was kind of in over his head, uh, tactically, uh, a little bit. So, timing-wise, I'm totally fine with it. I I don't... I'm not of the opinion that uh, DC uh, took too long. I think he gave Bullen the opportunity to prove himself, uh, and uh, Bullen showed that he wasn't up to the task. And then he acted swiftly in the international break. So we got a good uh, just over a week with uh, Gary Monk uh, before the games resumed. Uh, and as we'll talk about later in the Huddersfield game, it seemed like that was enough to get us uh, our ship righted. And James, is it safe to assume you agree with that? <laughs> I've got to eat a bit of humble pie. Um, I've got to be honest, I, I was not impressed when Gary Monk was announced. Um I'm still not sure I'm completely impressed, but I'm definitely a lot more impressed now than I was when the uh, 
when the announcement came in pretty short order, right? I mean, what, it was like a Friday morning or whatever it was, uh, 10 days ago in the middle of the international break. And, and literally out of a clear blue sky, we announced that we were going to be announcing a manager that afternoon. It was revealed it was Gary Monk, and it was like a bit of a deflation of a balloon. We've been talking about the Cali brothers, talking about kind of like a new generation in Sheffield Wednesday, maybe taking a very different approach. And I've got to be honest, my first reaction was, ah, another name from the championship merry-go-round. You know, another manager who's managed three or four championship clubs before Wednesday. That doesn't feel as ambitious or, or revolutionary as it should be. Um, and kind of like a lot of people, I think over the last 10 days, I've, I've spent a bit of time doing a bit of introspection. Is that a fair assessment? Um, we'll talk about what he's proven on the field in, in a moment or so. But what I will say is I think he's done a really good job of kind of demonstrating that he's not just just another manager. He, you know, he has his own ideas and opinions. He's definitely got um, some impact on the training ground. And I think it's been really rewarding to kind of be able to dig into some of the background of the way he worked at clubs he's been at previously, at Swansea, at Leeds, at Birmingham. Um, and the more we've learned about him, the more that there is to like. So, um, yeah, I, I, I can't equivocally say I'm absolutely delighted that Gary Monk's on board. This is the guy I wanted from day one. It's not. It's not the. It's not the name that I was championing. It's not the approach I was championing. But I'm. I'm cautiously optimistic about what I've seen so far. Well, how's how's Lee Bullen have to feel at this point? I mean, obviously he's still at the club. Uh, it's clear that he still loves the club. Uh, after. You know, so many different spells as a, a caretaker. Do you think at some point he's kind of like, man, I, I don't know if I'm actually cut out to be a manager? I mean, do you think at this point he knows like his role is, is assistant? Or do you think he still has aspirations to be a, a manager? I'm not sure that any of us can, can answer that question. I, mean, I think the honest truth is, I think he put his hand in the ring for this one. He said he wanted to be a Wednesday manager. He thought he could do it. In fairness to him, look, he played, you know, had six games as boss beginning of the season. He's got 50% win ratio. People are championing Gary Monk's 47% win ratio in the uh, in the championship. So, you know, not a bad comparison. Okay, we lost some games we should have won. Um, I don't think Lee Bullen is finished as a candidate for managerial options. And I think in many respects, this is probably a statement which says it's not going to be at Wednesday. It's probably going to be somewhere else. So we're all probably going to have to face up to the hard reality that, that Lee Bullen ends up moving on from Wednesday, probably sooner rather than later. Um, but in the interim, we get the benefit of all of his experience and all of his knowledge of the club. And, and that's invaluable, I think, to Gary Monk as he gets to know the playing squad and gets to know uh, the Wednesday infrastructure. I think um, Bully's going to feel a little bit hard done by, uh, I think. Um, six games, even though we, we everyone lost their patience. It's it's a long time in football, but I know it's not enough time to turn around the club's fortune and spring it out of what was essentially a, a chaotic pre-season. So he had a hard job to do, Bullen. Uh, the only way he was going to get the job was if he was miraculous. And he wasn't miraculous. And the financial reality set in pretty quickly uh, that we needed someone a bit more experienced and we acted upon it. So I think if Bullen wants to prove he's good, is a good coach, he needs to go somewhere they're going to give him more than six matches to prove that. Uh, and a, probably a lower level too. So my question is, is, does Bullen want to be a head coach more than he wants to be at Wednesday? And I'm not sure he's shown us that. I think he's more loyal to Wednesday in any role than he is ambitious to be a head coach somewhere else. But we'll still see. Yeah, I would probably have to be the the right 
job, not just any managerial job for him to leave, I'm sure. Um, I, th- I think the question we all want to answer is, is Monk the right man for the job? But I, th- I think it'd probably be best to get into the match and um, maybe some of those questions will be will be answered as we as we move through. So let's let's do this 90 seconds in 90 minutes <laughs> or wait <laughs> yeah 90 minutes and 90 seconds jeff's so good at this and and i'm um i'm very new at it so i'll do my best so here we go 90 minutes and 90 seconds gary not so silent monks sheffield wednesday traveled to some other geographical yorkshire to face off against huddersfield a cali brothers production the Terriers and the Owls traded shots until the 13th minute when Stephen Fletcher found the back of the net for the third time in three matches off Kadeem Harris's lovely cross. A few shouts for penalties from each team were ignored by the blind eyes and deaf ears of the referee before Sam Winall, who entered for Murphy in the 60th minute, headed home the insurance goal in the 72nd minute from Barry Bannon. Reach and Fletcher each almost put Wednesday ahead 3-0, but ultimately two goals was all the Owls needed for three points as they slid into the ninth spot in the table. Now our talking points, and we'll start with me. How about Harris showing the ability not only to cut into the middle of the field, but deliver some crosses and keep the defense off balance throughout the, the match? I think uh, Kadeem Harris has shown over and over again this season already that he's, uh, he's going to be the best player that we've, we've got on the pitch uh, uh, most times. If you can keep this form up, uh, then we've got some play on our hands for a free transfer. Um, and that cost that he put in for Fletcher was just exactly what Fletcher wants all of our season, pretty much, and didn't get, didn't get much of it. So to have pace and someone that can put a ball in the box uh, is a massive asset. Uh, and you can see that he's already a fan's favourite. So uh, all we need now, and it feels a bit greedy, is someone on the right-hand side to do the same thing. Um, but... Um, I'm just going to stay happy with the left-hand side for the time being. <laughs> but I think what I'm getting at is that and, you know, I talked about it a while back. We kind of talked about it a few different times. Harris is a great player. No one's questioning that. But it just seemed he, he seemed very one-dimensional. And James, I think um, as the season's progressed, he started to, sh- to show that he's getting more comfortable and, and showing some different tools that maybe we haven't seen or didn't see at the beginning of the year. I, th- I think that's actually. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because it's it's one game. It's you know, it's one set of moves. You know, there's a lot of reasons why that may be the case. But what was interesting about the way we used Harris relative to earlier in the season is we, you know, earlier in the season it felt very one-dimensional. We were using him as an outlet, give the ball to him, let him run at the defence. He's going to get to the byline. He's going to pull across back. Hopefully, it's the quality of the cross that he put in Fletcher and somebody's on the end of it. But actually, more often than not, not and after the first couple of games, defences got wise to that, right? I mean, they started to shut us down, shut down that outlet and nullify the impact he was having. What I liked about what he was doing against Huddersfield was exactly as you were saying, Evan, we were using him, you know, sometimes to push the defence, sometimes to pull back. They weren't really sure where he was going, so they were putting two men on him sometimes, you know, to cover the space, not only the man. And that just gave us options. And actually, if you, you look at his impact, I mean, it's a beautiful ball for Fletcher, but also the way he draws the defence away before he pulls the ball back for Bannon for the cross that Winhol scores from. That's as impactful because of the way that he, you know, he's he's just he's just using the defence in a more nuanced way than perhaps he was earlier in the season. So I agree with you, Paddy. He's got all the potential to be a hugely impactful player as we go further into the season. 
Patty, you want to talk a little bit about our our discipline throughout the match? Yeah, I think that was this, the biggest um, uh, difference that I saw uh, from a Monk team versus a Bullen team is uh, just the complete organization and discipline in the roles of the players. Um, uh, and to some extent, the strategy as well. So uh, Monk said something I really liked in one of his presses. He said uh, he wanted to focus the, uh, on ensuring everyone knew their role. So if everyone knows their role, it doesn't matter so much what formation we play. That's, that's what kind of a paraphrased uh, uh, quote from him. Uh, I don't think really that um, that really was that hard to do. I mean, people know their role. What was the hard job which Bullen seemed to have kind of lost in the last few games of his uh, tenure was getting them to kind of stick to that and not go gung-ho. Um, it was all blood and guts and passion when Bullen was in charge. There was a much more measured uh, um, kind of patient build-up, uh, let Huddersfield have the possession and let us strike them on the counter. It was a simple, classic away performance in itself. In itself, not doing anything with rocket, not not rocket science or anything, but it was just much more calmer. Uh, there was no silly substitutions, taking defenders off and bringing attackers on. It was all kind of measured. It was a plan they stuck to from the first minute down to the ninety-fifth minute, uh, and it was just, it was just, yeah, it was normal. There was normality. It was a normal 2-0 win. And how often does that happen in Sheffield Wednesday uh, season? It was nice to see. It was calm. There, was, there wasn't really that much danger throughout the match. Um, I want to give a shout-out to, to, to Westwood because at 1-0 he made a fantastic save on the bottom right-hand corner, um, which could have turned the game a little bit because Huddersfield getting the tails up. Um, but that save um, kind of just kind of went down again. And we uh, went on to our second goal. So I think if we can continue in that vein when Monk instills this patience and this discipline and making sure everyone knows the roles I think we'll be okay James uh, I, you, you've mentioned you want to talk about the front too I, I guess I have a question I want, I want you to make your point and, and maybe talk about your point but um, I think after that we should get into maybe a little bit more of what we think the tactics will be going forward. So why don't you make that point, and then um, maybe we can get into that tactical question. It's kind of one and the same thing, right, Evan? I mean, like, so, uh, like, two weeks ago, you uh, you sprang a surprise question on me, and you said, James, what's your, what's your ideal Wednesday formation, right? And I was uh, I was really uh, British boring. I said 4-4-2. Um, I didn't necessarily say 4-4-2 because I loved that formation. I think there's many more dynamic ways to play football these days but with the players we've got I don't think it's necessarily the wrong approach. The important piece is the two and it's if you're going to play Stephen Fletcher as a leading man you need to play somebody off him. You need to play somebody who is going to take advantage of the knockdowns that he creates to take advantage of the space that he pulls defenders out of and what I thought was really refreshing was after a series of managers who've kind of played Fletcher as a as a lone striker and then tried to play clever formations off that with a sort of midfield three set in behind, Monk went straight at it and, you know, it didn't necessarily work in the first half. I don't think it's his best position, but he played Adam Reach off Fletcher and he said, you know, I want someone with pace playing off, off Fletcher as a front man. Um, and I, I like the signal of intent. What I really like was the fact that when that didn't work in the first half, he brought on Sam Winnell, you know, a born and bred, bread and butter striker and played him off Fletcher and 
and we got we got a reward from that, right? You know, I think you saw better from Winnor for playing as one of the front two with a you know a leading striker alongside him than perhaps we've seen of him over the last. You know, if if I'm in generous, I'd say the last. 12 months but I know he's coming back from injury but even really over his tenure at Wednesday so my, my opinion is really simple if you're going to play Stephen Fletcher you need to play a striker alongside um, and it was it was rewarding to see Monk kind of play that in a similar sort of vein and that then leads into your question Evan in terms of you know what are the right tactics going forward when we've got a full complement of players available Monk is um, his preferred formation is a 4-4-2 and uh, you have to wonder if that's something we will transition into as we move forward. And I'm right there with you. Um, I, I think Fletcher is a fantastic player, but he, he's not the dynamic sort of player that is just going to take over a defense by himself. And um, yeah, it was good to see Winall, first of all, on the pitch, but second of all, uh, get a goal. It was a, a well-taken header. And uh, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see Rhodes get some extra time up there. And uh, especially if we're going to start delivering some of these nice balls into the box. Um, we, we've seen Rhodes be very successful uh, capitalizing on some of those. I think um, Winnell looked great for 20 minutes, by the way. It wasn't just his goal. He was, he, was, he was all over the place, buzzing around. And he's got a point to prove now. He's got a brand new, he's got another clean slate. I mean, Bullen's always been there through his tenure, so he wasn't really a clean slate with Bullen. Um, so he's got a new manager to impress. He's fit for the first time in a long time, it feels like. Um, and you could see how much it meant to him. That goal, his first goal in two years, and he felt like he just like a primal scream was let out once he scored. It was like, Argh! yeah, it was fantastic to see. So it, the passion's there from the guys. I've never been doubted that his passion's there. Whether I think he fell out, fell out of love with the club a little bit with the whole Forest Year issue and then being loaned out. Um, but I think if he's ready to go again, he could be a good asset. And he's 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 the natural foil, I think, for Fletcher in that four-four-two uh, formation because. Forestier isn't disciplined enough to stay as a support guy. He likes to roam around. Um, Rose has got no no pace. Uh, it's very similar to Fletcher. Uh, so they kind of two of the same up front. So I would probably switch out Rhodes and Fletcher if you're going to play um, uh, Rhodes a little bit more. Uh, but at the moment, Fletcher's not is not droppable. He's, he's got four ga- four goals already this season, and he looks like he's get he's thriving on the service he's getting. So add another uh, strikers to that thing, and you'd hope there's more goals in it. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to be a, a kind of blanket agree with everything. I agree too. Four five two works for me. But what I would do, and what Monk has hinted to in this past week, is I would switch out, reach that right hand side, um, and bench Murphy because Murphy's been quite disappointing so far. Uh, and Monk said after I think it was this this presser yesterday or today, said that he's going to keep Reach on the wings now rather than have him central because he thinks that's his best role. Uh, and it's taken him what two weeks to realise that, so <laughs> it's it's the right decision. Uh, he's definitely by far more effective on the wings than he is on uh, centre. Any other business from Huddersfield? I, just, uh, I, I guess just kind of the general reflection was it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, like the last time we recorded, we were pretty enthusiastic about the idea of the Cowleys. Um, they were in the other dugout. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre, right? You have these two teams marching out on a Sunday morning in uh, in West Yorkshire, and they're both being marshaled by totally different coaching squads than the than the week previous. Not only that, but apparently Wednesday would try to sign both uh, both sets of managers, you know, a few days earlier. So, I, I actually think kind of kudos to Wednesday for for getting through that uncertainty. You know, the playing squad didn't know who the manager was seven days before the game. 
Um, it could have gone in a very different direction. You've got a new manager bounce potentially in the opposition. And, you know, Huddersfield, they might not necessarily have their, their shit together, but they, they had some dangerous moments, right? They've got some talented players that are still there from a, a squad that was rebuilt in the Premiership over the last two years. So I just thought generally Wednesday handled themselves well. Um, and then on the completely trite, I love those green shorts. <laughs> Wednesday in an all green kit, that was nice. Like nice, nice touch Wednesday. It's a nice kit, isn't it? And I'm going to give two more things, shout outs before we move on to the next point. Because uh, first of all, Bannon is having an excellent season. Every game he plays, he's pretty much man of the match, um, and we need him to stay in that role uh, with that importance. He seems up for it this season. Um, and uh, Julian Berner, um, despite having no Lees next to him, uh, seems to be the leader we need. Um, in that absence of Tom Lees, uh, and he's really stepping up to the mark, right? I mean, he's a different kind of uh, leader to Tom Lees, uh, and the fans love him already, and he's, uh, he's, he seems to have steadied I offer, uh, in, at least in that last game, com- com- uh, compared to the other performance he put in. So, massive signing that as well. I think a lot's... Um, it's interesting that we didn't lead with that, because I think like, if, if we were real-time recording this when the squads came out, I think what people were most concerned about was the fact that we played a back four the way that we did, that we brought Aeolfer in again as centre-back after what had happened at QPR. And actually, over the course of the game, he did, he did really well. Um, like you said, Paddy Buda kind of led led that back line and, and marshalled it. Um, it's interesting that I think what gets overlooked with the QPR performance is the fact that wasn't planned, you know. Um, Iorfa wasn't planned to play at centre-back until Lees gets injured in the warm-up, and I just, I just wonder how much that affected the way that they performed. But he, he seemed just overall more comfortable, more competent than perhaps we expected him to be, um, and that that was rewarding. But I, I still worry about that back line. You know, there were moments when Huddersfield were running at us when they were cutting through just a little bit too easily, and I think that if you look at the quality of the Wednesday squad and you look at where we want to be this season, our biggest risk at the moment is probably in the calibre of our back four. I think we're a more solid defence with Ayorfa as a right back um, and uh, Lees and Berner centre-half. Uh, I, I do think Ayorfa had a decent game against um, Huddersfield, but uh, Adebayo still feels like he's got a mistake in him. He's often a little bit late off the pace. Uh, definitely got skinned I think one, or, one or twice once or twice in the Huddersfield game. So, uh, yeah, he's it's, it's, it's not a bad player, Adebayo. He's just a little bit um, inconsistent so far, I've found. And I feel like uh, I offers a little bit more consistency on the right back. We will take a quick break, and when we return, we will have some news and match previews. Welcome back, and we will start the second segment with some Wednesday news. And Patty Forestieri has lost his appeal, and he's banned for six billion trillion games. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this happened again while we were off. Um, well, actually, it happened the day after we finished our last recording. So again, we're playing catch up here. Um, so the EFL found him guilty after a court of law found him not guilty, and. On the face of it, you think that's not very fair. Um, but when you look at the details of it, 
it's enough, I think, for an employer of a, uh, a business, maybe, to charge them when a court of law could not charge them. So I don't think it's literally a, a kind of, kind of, well, you haven't got enough evidence in the court of law, therefore he must be innocent. I don't necessarily believe that he's guilty, but I see the reasons why the EFL have acted this way. I think it's definitely underhand how they waited until the new um, uh, ban for six games uh, ruling came in, because it was five games previously, and they literally waited the day of the announcement of that extension to announce Forestieri's appeal. So I think there's a lot of underhand things going on here. I don't necessarily believe Forestieri is guilty, but I do understand the difference between being found innocent in a court of law and then being fined for something at work too. So it's it sucks, and uh, <laughs> thankfully Forestieri seems to be taking it relatively well after some of his Instagram posts this week. Um, but yeah, he's going to be out for six six games. Um, personally, after this last few podcasts now. I'm not sure we've got the best forestry area at the moment anyway, so um, will we miss him? Probably not. There you have it, folks. And now we move into a quick preview on this, or I guess two upcoming matches. The first being Fulham at home. Fulham have won three, lost two, and drawn two. They sit at 11th in the table. That's 11 points. Wednesday with 12 points in ninth at the moment. So two pretty similar teams so far this season. And Tom Lees will be out once again. James, do you have any predictions for our starting 11 against Fulham? Um, I don't know if it's worth predicting. I, I mean, I, I think the one thing that Gary Monk's team selection against Huddersfield tells you is he's probably not going to completely revolutionise things one week in, right? Um, you know, you, you saw a degree of continuity in terms of most of the players, just a bit of a rejig in terms of the formation. I, I think you'll see a little bit more of a continuation of that against Fulham. What I do think you'll see is this play a slightly more defensive-minded structure. Um, and we, we have to because, you know, if you look at the danger that Fulham have on the flanks... Um, you know, particularly a player like Knockart, who we know well, um, you cannot play narrow. You've got to play. You've got to play two banks of, of defence to hold that at bay. So I'd, 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 I'd be very surprised if we play an expansive structure. Um, defensively, like you say, with Lee's out, there's not a lot of option. It seems like the stall is out there for um, for Borner and Iorford to continue as the centre back. So I think that's that's probably likely. Um, and if that's the case, then Odebayajo obviously plays right back and left back. My guess would be Liam Palmer, um, but we'll you know we'll, we'll we'll see when the team rolls out. It's uh, at nine a.m. on uh, on on Saturday morning. Um, you know the key with Fulham is is look they're they're a side absolutely blessed with attacking talent, and it's interesting you know in the intro when you say that Wednesday are one point better off than Fulham, it's fascinating because pretty much everybody's bet for the standout team in the championship this year is Fulham. You look at a lot of the commentary about their early performances. There's a lot of pundits, a lot of um, tacticians who are gushing over the way they're playing. They've only got 11 points. You know, we're, we're, we're actually a little bit marginally ahead. So this is a really interesting test for Wednesday. Um, you've got Mitrovic up front. We know him well. Um, I'm 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 fascinated to see how it's going to play out. I, I really hope that Wednesday give Fulham a good game on Saturday, and, and if we can get a result, then then maybe we can start talking about the season in a slightly different way. But my my slight concern here is I think they're a 
about to hit a crest of a wave, and I hope we're not the team that they uh, they start that build on. Uh, I don't Few... necessarily agree. I don't think uh, they are on a crest of a wave. I think they they're winless in four, so they're um, right. They do a win, but it doesn't mean they're in good form. Um, I think it's a good time to play them. Actually, they're still probably getting their shit together after coming down like a lot of relegated teams mm -hmm. do. So I, I, I know a couple of Fulham fans over here, and. Um, it's interesting watching their reactions to the games. They're, um, they get very excited that they're very good going forward, but then they seem to be conceding goals quite a lot too, which um, has always been a kind of issue for them in the Premier League as well. So, uh, yes, they've definitely strengthened throughout the team, and that's that, that top three of Mitrovic, Knockout and Caballero is terrifying. Um, but they're definitely, not, they're definitely um, beatable. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe our um, upward trend versus their kind of staticness might actually come in our favour, and it's good that we're playing them at home too. So, I'm I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling relatively positive, which is not something I thought I would have said a couple of weeks ago against Fulham. Um, as for the uh, formation, I, I'm interested if you think whether we should go four four two for this one, James, or whether we just maybe maybe pack the midfield a bit more because uh, to try and take on some of the uh, attacking threats. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We, we, I remember when we played Wolves away. I know that's got currency in these circles. Um, towards the end of the, well, literally, I think it was the last day of their promotion season. Um, you know, so they were already heading up to the Premier League. And I guess Caviero was playing for Wolves probably on that day, or certainly, you know, part of that team. And Wednesday nullified that Wolves attack. I'd like to see us do something not dissimilar. And, and you, you're right, Paddy. That day we played very wide in midfield. You know, we were cautious and we were positive, but we were also, you know, very controlled in possession. Bannon had an excellent game. Um, so I, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. And I, that ability to take control of a match, to be disciplined, to use the word that you, you used earlier on to describe the way that Monk is trying to drill the team. I'm cautiously optimistic that he's wise and savvy enough to get the team to think about how they have to play differently against this squad of players, and, and maybe then we can unlock that defence that perhaps is a little bit more leakly. Uh, they haven't certainly haven't got Michael Hector yet. They don't get him until January, so you know, let's take advantage now. Well, some quick Fulham statistics for you. Um, Wait, they? Yep, statistics. That's what I said. I'm a scat man. So Fulham average 63.7% possession. Their passing accuracy 87.5%. They average 14 shots per game. We've already talked about some of their offensive threats. Knockout with two goals. Mitrovic with five. Cavalero. Three goals, three assists. So he leads the team in assists, second in goals. Um, pretty well-rounded team overall. And yes, only 11 points to show for it. So um, if nothing else, this is a, a good test for Wednesday and could honestly be a, a springboard for either one of these teams to go on a, a pretty solid run. So we move on to our midweek fixture, which evidently... In the United States on a Tuesday afternoon, there's too much else going on to put Wednesday and Everton on your television. So we will not see this match, but it's exciting nonetheless. Everton traveled to Hillsborough on Tuesday, as we said. And, um, you know, this, this will be an interesting one for me because 
usually in these midweek cup matches, you play a weaker side or some uh, some guys that don't generally play. But it's Everton at home. So, and honestly, I'm a, a fairly, I'm a relatively young Wednesday fan. In, in these um, in these types of situations, in your opinions, uh, being first of all older than me uh, by a lot. And oh, and right. second of all, just just more familiar with with the culture around um, cup matches and, and English football in general. Is, is this something you go for? I mean, do you do you go all out for to win a match like this? I mean, Patty? in the past, I would definitely say yes. Um, this would be a massive game at Hillsborough under the lights on Tuesdays. Even League Cup games when they used to mean something. So, um, and I think actually this might be a little. Um, uh, anomaly in far as League Cup games go, even though it's early in the season, because it's Monk's third game in charge. I think he still might field a strong side. I don't think he's going to want to experiment so much against a, a team. He, at this point in his career, he wants to get wins under his belt, right? So uh, if you get a scalp like Everton in the Cup, that's a massive boost for uh, him and the players. So I don't think he's going to change things too much. I think he might make about two or three changes. Um, and I think he might go for it. And we saw, again, referring back to the Cowleys, we saw that um, Lincoln City uh, gave them a massive game in the last round, uh, Everton. They took them, there was 2-2, I think, in the uh, for, for most of the game. Well, sorry, it was back and forth, but it was 2-2 at one point. And then Everton uh, got two goals towards the end of the game. Um, they're definitely beatable, Everton, at the moment. They're very, very average in the Premier League. They spent a lot of money, and I think they're just trying to find uh, their feet and gelling a little bit. So again, good time for us to play them. Uh, I think there'll be a couple of changes in the lineup. Maybe put Luongo in for a little bit, give someone a rest. Um, but other than that, we'll go for it. James, what's a, a realistic prediction for the the result of this one? I mean, a realistic prediction is probably two one either way, right? I mean, um, I agree with Paddy. I mean, like it, it's a cup game, so there's no reason to think that like we're going to get walked over or that we can't turn a result. You know, with the right right performance, I think what's fascinating about it though is that it's a different feeling, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, your question, Evan, was rooted in like what's the history of a cup game against a side like Everton, especially at this time in the season. And we were we were kind of chatting in the break, like it's um, it's a full four years now since Wednesday played Arsenal at a similar point in the season. You know, just kind of for, get, getting into the fall in the League Cup. That was a huge game in terms of just the crowd that showed up at Hillsborough, kind of the momentum that was building in Carlos's first season. You know, the rest is history in terms of the result, the performance, the kind of the just the experience and, and everything that, that we kicked on from that season from there, right? I mean, it was kind of the catalyst for something that took us almost all the way to the Premier League. Somehow this feels different. It feels a little bit more like going through the motions. It's a Caribou Cup game. I, you know, I. I don't know what the turnout will be, but I don't think it's going to be a full house at Hillsborough by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I do think it will be a marker on the Monk era. I think it'll be an opportunity for, as you, exactly as you said, Paddy, for him to put out, put out a good side and to see where we measure up. Um, and as we're learning both you know, through our own experience with the teams that are coming down as well as watching those that have gone up, the gap isn't quite as big as we think it is. So, uh, so I see no reason why we can't spring a result. So we move on to some Owls America's other business. War of the Monster Truck is back this weekend. And James, you have an update for us. I do. Um, now this is big news. So 
Evan, in the last segment, you talked about history. Well, listen, you know, for those listeners who are under the age of about 30, there is this um, ancient form of communication. Thank you for putting your hand up there, Evan. Uh, called the uh, the printed form of text. Uh, it took the form of, uh, of newspapers, uh, which were literal physical art- artifacts, which were printed on paper. What? Um, they, didn't, they didn't appear on a tablet. Um, as well as fanzines, which were the mode of communication for fans who wanted to talk to other fans. Uh, on a weekly basis, they used a printing press to communicate you know, the written form as well as cartoon uh, articulation of humour. Um, and very rarely did those cartoons ever talk about what people were actually drinking. They just usually used a characterization of a bottle of beer. Um, one celebrated form of this uh, amazing historical artifact was called War of the Monster Trucks, which was a Sheffield Wednesday fanzine uh, celebrating the 1991 League Cup final in which the um, Wednesday beat Manchester United, obviously at Wembley, in the Rumblows Cup the full run to the Caribou Cup, and then were ceremoniously overwritten by Yorkshire Television with a showing of War of the Monster Trucks, which was literally a bunch of monster trucks on television uh, for those people of Yorkshire who didn't want to acknowledge that Wednesday had been successful. Fast forward 16 years since the last printed form of this fanzine. It is back this Saturday at Hillsborough um, for pound fifty. If you happen to be in Sheffield, you can buy a copy of the new iteration of that fanzine. So a bit of retro for you. Um, what's exciting and most exciting for us in America is we are bringing the fanzine to the US and to anybody else who wants to partake in Canada or anywhere else in the Americas. Uh, so as of today, there is a box dispatched from Sheffield with a bunch of these fanzines in it. Uh, they will be arriving on my doorstep in around five days' time, and we will be disseminating them to our fan groups, to f- individual fans, to anybody who's interested. Basically, if you want to read a copy of War of the Monstructs, which is phenomenal in terms of its writing, its humour, its analysis of Wednesday, and just generally being a part of Wednesday folklore, get a copy. Um, it's fantastic. And all the proceeds go to Sheffield Children's Hospital. So um, there really is nothing not to like about this. Um, so in the next couple of weeks, if you're in America... Get a copy of this. We are bringing it to you in the same way that all the Wednesday fans back in Sheffield will be enjoying it this weekend. Yes, you can send us an email uh, at alsamericas at gmail.com. I'll get in touch with them on Twitter or Facebook uh, and uh, we'll arrange that for you. Awesome work, James. And awesome work to the Wilder Monstrucks guys too. Yeah, and a big thanks to Steve as well at WAOTMT who has uh, has organised all of that for us and for all of us in the Americas as well. So the next segment on the agenda are some questions from our listeners from social media. Uh, Before we get to that, though, I do want to send out a a quick thank you to uh, one of our listeners and and also a a friend of mine now from Fort Wayne, um, Indiana, Stephen Peck, who uh, we we get questions from him all the time. Really appreciate uh, the engagement he has, but he saved me and was able to stop at a liquor store close to him and get two special release bourbons this weekend. Um, very hard to find around uh, around where, where I am, or really around the, the U.S. Uh, and picked them both up for me and, and met me halfway for, for lunch on Saturday. So, shout out to Steven. Uh, I mean, that's that's what we're all about here at, at Owls Americas, is kind of creating, creating a community where you can get bourbon from Wednesday fans. <laughs> so, our first question... And James, we'll have you answer it first. What 
must happen to convince you that Gary Monk is the long-term answer at manager? And that is from Twitter, from user at right or Ron. So two things have happened already that give me more confidence about Gary Monk's longevity than I had when he was appointed. Um, one, I've learned that he actually has a real feeling for the technicality of coaching. Um, so, you know, right down to the point where he had like pods installed on the side of the training pitches so players could get the, amount of, amount, the right amount of rest between training sessions. And two, um, the point that he, you know, he really does think thoughtfully about how to integrate youth into the squad and to refresh a, a, a football team. And I think that's that's very heartening for all of us who think that Wednesday needs to take a more technical and more long-term view about the footballing infrastructure at Hillsborough. If I see him pulling through on those principles more and more, um, you know, being more of a technician, more of a... Um, more than just a manager on on Saturday, but also managing the infrastructure and the the kind of the overall footballing philosophy of Sheffield Wednesday. That will that will convince me right out the gate, despite the results. Um, I actually I judge him less on the results and more on the way that Wednesday evolve over the next few years. I've got an answer for that too. Um, and take it literally, what must happen to convince you that Gary Monk is long term as a manager? What must happen is if he gets tapped up by a boyhood club. He must turn them down and stay at Sheffield Wednesday. Who is his boyhood cub? Who do we have to watch out for? I don't know. Probably whoever throws the most money at him. But I mean, whoever throws the most money at him and he turns them down. If we were doing well at that point, which I assume we would be if he's getting offers, he needs to stay and finish the job. That will convince me that Gary Monk is a long-term answer manager. We weren't even doing chuffing well when Steve Bruce got tapped up. But we were <laughs> We just finished mid-table, for goodness sake. Um, no, I agree with you. That's a great, great point. I mean, he, he definitely has to stay a little bit longer than he has at previous clubs. And actually, that's a huge asset for Wednesday, right? You think about it. Like, he won't say it, but he, he needs to stay at a club more than whatever it is, you know, not quite a full season that he's basically managed to, to average at his previous four. So, you know, um, him staying the course will show you that we're not just settling, but we're also building something together. So Gary Monk's childhood club, at least in uh, his youth, was Torquay United. <laughs> Torquay. Um, Torquay. <laughs> On the English Riviera, Evan, I would totally not recommend it. It's got his Torquay, sorry, mate. Interesting aside for you, Evan, if you want to know we'll what Torquay is, watch Forty Towers. So, so okay, maybe I will, but <laughs> I do want to mention... Gary Monk is from Bedford, England, and if you trace my my lineage all the way back to before a boat to America, Bedford is where I hail from. No, oh yeah, Evan, I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, well, <laughs> Shit, it might exp- it, it might explain a lot. Yeah. It could have been anywhere, but you come from the most boring town in England. I come from the same place as Gary Monk. Yeah, well, Gary Monk's got the same problem. Um, on the upside, you do have a, uh, a range of trucks named after you. <laughs> that's about all I can give you. Well, that's all I really want, so I'm pleased <laughs> that's to hear it. in life. Uh, how about the next question? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Next question, also from Twitter, from at Samuels888. If we play two up top, who do you go with? I included Forrestieri in this, even with him being suspended. 
or do we look to sell and strengthen in January? Patty? Um, so with our options right now, if we play two up top, I think our best two are um, Fletcher and Winall. Um, and as far as the second question goes, uh, we do we should look to sell and strengthen in January. Uh, and I think I made myself pretty clear already that I'm not the Forestieri's biggest fan right now. So if we can get some cash for Forestieri uh, and Rhodes um, and Nui-U, why not? Uh, I always forget about him. Um, then let's ship them out and get some more diverse options up front. Because at the moment, um, I'm including Fletcher, Nui-U and Rhodes in a similar kind of mould. Um, and we need a bit more pace up there couldn't agree more um i think i said two weeks ago that i would <laughs> i would even pair fletcher and Rhodes just for the sheer hell of trying to get some value from from jordan um i think i agree with what you said earlier on paddy that they're, they're quite similar players so it's probably one from two plus another um yeah let's see if we can make the cut i mean he certainly did well on saturday on sunday so um i'd go there to start off with you guys are dancing dancing <laughs> um but i'll say this evan in January, I want a player like Kamar Roof, you know, a, a fast, agile, young, sort of like, you know, Andre Gray before he was an idiot. Um, I just I want someone up there who is kind of playing with pace and absolutely no fear off Fletcher. That's the type of striker I really, really want. The next question comes from Twitter at James underscore Nilo. Do the Owls need a new captain to inspire the team onwards? Tom Lee's great player and servant for the club, but just doesn't seem to be a leader. Who would you go for, chaps? Julian Borner. <laughs> okay, oh, they are the which, leading question. <laughs> which I think is a fair. I think is a fair answer. It and this this is uh, again you know maybe maybe a great question for you guys has how many times in the past has a new player come in and i don't question borner's leadership ability but how many times has a new player come in and has automatically been or maybe not automatically but but immediately given that that armband not 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 very often is the answer and for good reason because look i i think the the difficulty here right and and this is where i get a little bit sensitive to this conversation around Tom Lee's like it has become common parlance in Wednesday circles to say Tom Lee's great guy good defender not a leader can't lead the back line probably shouldn't be captain we don't know what goes on in the dressing room we don't know why the players you know what the players look to who they look to for counsel who kind of rallies them when they're down um, we just see what we can see literally on the pitch and the role of captain is a bit more of that. You know, club captain is literally the the organizer, the the rallier, the you know the the motivator in the dressing room and and on the training pitch between games, right? The only person who's best judged to choose that is the head coach. So I don't know if Tom Lees is the right guy. He just certainly doesn't carry himself quite in the way in which I kind of think of a classical captain. But you know. Maybe we have to trust the fact that the successive managers have, have said, actually, you know what, he's the person that seems to be the, the one who carries the bat on for the Wednesday squad. I mean, we've given Lees a good a good crack at it now. Um, I mean, Monk has a really good um, excuse to change things up. 
uh, at the end of the day. Um, you can say, look, Tommy's been a great captain, good servant, but we're going to try something different. And uh, he's if he's going to make a change, it's good to do it in his first couple of weeks, I think. Um, but, like I say, we always give Leaves a bit of stick on this podcast about him not being the most vocal of leaders. But we don't know what's going to happen, like I said, James. So, um, for me, though, if it's time to get a new captain, then I agree with you, James. The most obvious candidate right now is uh, Julian Berner. I like saying that name. I'm going to say it over and over again. Julian Berner. You've been listening to episode 77 of the Owls AmeriCast, brought to you by Sheffield Wednesday's iFollow live match streaming service. Sign up at swfc.co.uk slash iFollow. You can email us at owlsamericas at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at owlsamericas. We're also on Instagram at that same hashtag. That's probably not the correct word, but at that same username. King of socials. Our podcast King of socials. and bumpers are by fellow Wednesday Ice Reverend and the Maker. <laughs> Our podcast is on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There is no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume Al's AmeriCast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, where will you be watching the match this weekend? It's a very good question. Um, I would love to say in the football factory in Manhattan, and I'm going to hold out hope that that's the case, but Paddy hasn't actually announced the meetups yet, so I don't know if that's happening. <laughs> well, good news. Paddy is on Twitter at New York Owls and at Paddy A. Jones. Paddy, are there any meetups this weekend? There are indeed, mate. We've got one at the aforementioned Football Factory in New York. Um, and we have another at uh, New Orleans, uh, Finn McCool's, with Jamie and the boys. Um, there's one more thing I want to mention, too. Uh, we do have some uh, new merch available on the OursAmericas.com uh, Teespring site. You can go there, and there's a new, like, uh, Nielsen shirt as an homage to the uh, European tour song. Uh, we're also going to put up a podcast shirt in the next uh, day or so uh, with the nice uh, Owls with Headphones logo. So that's all uh, up there soon. And anything we make from our t-shirts, it goes straight into the Owls Americas uh, group and it allows us to make the podcast and other things like group events and stuff too. So uh, please buy some shirts. I am on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro and we'll see you here next week. <laughs>